This episode is brought to you by Geek Grind Coffee Company. Brett? Yes, Stephen. How do you take your coffee? Uh, in the morning, in any way that I can. Uh, I take it seriously, Brett. I take it very seriously. Uh, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that we uh, we'll occasionally talk about our coffee addiction, and it is real. It's very real. I probably drink too much of it. Uh, same. I had a, an entire French press today. So, hey. Uh, and that's usually less than what I drink in a normal day. Um, but you know who else takes coffee very seriously, Brett? Uh, I, no, Stephen who? Well, our very good friends at Geek Grind Coffee Company. That's who. Geek Grind Coffee. Tell me more. Uh, they are based in uh, Colombia, so they're actually based there in Colombia. It's a family-owned company, completely independent, and they offer a wide variety of 100% Colombian coffee from farms that are 100% owned by women, which is pretty cool. That is pretty neat. Uh, they also offer all sorts of uh, flavored coffees. Um, With some of the coolest names I've ever heard of. Like Jungle well, Haze. Jungle Reign, Haze. Reign of the King. Which is a Bananas Foster flavored coffee. Just in time for Godzilla versus Kong. Just in time for Godzilla versus Kong. We talked about Godzilla and Kong. Both. We did. Uh, my favorite name for any coffee ever, though, might be Desert Winds Night of the Chupacabra, which is a coffee that's flavored like cinnamon and chocolate, uh, which just is sounds delicious, and I cannot wait to try it. And I'm not one for flavored coffee, Brett. You know this. That's very true. And look, on top of all that, they've got to deal with Paizo. If you're a D&D &D fan, you know about Paizo. You know about Pathfinder. They've got some uh, some Goblin Gulp, some some Cadence Cup. It's, it's delicious stuff. Um, I'm currently drinking uh, their limited run, a uh, small batch, uh, dark roast called uh, Witch's Brew. It's the best brew. dark roast. Yeah, it's dark, uh, best uh, dark roast I've ever had. Yeah, and you, you're generally not a fan of dark roast, so that's high praise indeed. It is. It definitely is. Uh, they've also got a deal with uh, the Jim Henson Company and have a labyrinth-themed coffee called Goblin King's Elixir, Jareth's Roast, which is a medium roast, not a dark roast, as I would have thought. But uh, it looks absolutely incredible as well. It does. I'm probably going to get some of that next time once, I'm, once I've run out of my three bags of Witch's Brew. I've went all in on that one. I've bought way too much of it, but it hey, is that good. It, with, with a coffee this good, is there such a thing as too much? I would argue no. So I'm going to encourage our listeners out there, um, go to geekgrindcoffee.com slash disenfranchised. Use the code FRANCHISE20. Get 20% off your next order. And, 20, you know, 20 whole percent? That's 20, awesome. 20 whole percent. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm going to do that this weekend. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, hopefully our listeners will too and enjoy some of this delicious coffee. Absolutely. And make sure you tell them that Disenfranchise sent you. Uh, that address again, geekgrindcoffee.com slash disenfranchised and the promo code FRANCHISE20 for 20% off of your first order at Geek Grind Coffee. Hello and welcome to Disenfranchise. We're that podcast about those franchises of one. Movies that fancy themselves full-fledged franchise but fell flat on their face after the first film. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and uh, that guy over there playing with his toys is my co-host, Brett Wright. Hey, Brett, how's it going? Hi, Stephen. Doing all right, man? Yeah, man, these toys are pretty cool. Yeah, man, they're pretty awesome. Uh, what's 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 that one called? Uh, I don't know. I didn't ask. Oh, you should ask. Maybe maybe they'll tell you who they are. Like the toys in this movie. Brett, what movie are we talking about this week? We're talking about Small Soldiers. We are talking about Small Soldiers, 1998 Small Soldiers, directed by the man himself, Mr. Joe Dante. And starring David Cross, Jay Moore, Dennis Leary, Kirsten Dunst, Gregory Smith, Kevin Dunn, Wendy Shaw, Phil Hartman, Ad Magnuson, Robert Picardo, and the great Dick Miller. 
what a cast. And that's not even including the voice cast of this movie, which is stacked beyond all reason. Uh, let's run the voice cast down real quick. We've got Tommy Lee Jones, Frank Langella, Ernest Borgnine, Jim Brown, Bruce Dern, George Kennedy, Clint Walker, Christopher Guest, Michael McKean, Harry Shearer, Sarah Michelle Geller, and Christina Ricci. Who? It's kind of insane. It's it's absolutely insane. That's a veritable who's who of Hollywood throughout the ages right there. Yeah, from top shelf names to prolific that guy actors, just it, top to bottom. Everything. This movie, this movie has everything. And I am absolutely here for it. I have been stoked to talk about this one. And fresh off of our Godzilla 98 episode felt like the perfect time because if I remember my childhood correctly, Brett, this movie was a, a counterplay to Godzilla. Yeah, I also remember this uh, movie being very uh, just all over the place, mm -hmm. uh, just like the Godzilla marketing was, like we mentioned. I mean, uh, that was that was almost how you marketed movies in the late 90s. They just were everywhere. Yeah. Um, cause yeah, I remember I was, I was big into the, there was a big, uh, Burger King marketing push mm -hmm. for this movie that I remember. I remember the, uh, I don't remember the name of the burger, but it was the first time they ever put onion rings and barbecue sauce on a burger. And I, okay. loved, it. I loved it. It was great. I probably had that. It was probably some kind of like commando whopper or something. Uh, that sounds like something they would have called it. Yeah, I know they later called it like the Cowboy Whopper or something like that. Sure, but, but. because it is, I mean, that is the Western burger. That's that burger's style. Yeah. Uh, if you give me a second here, I will actually find the name of that burger. The burger. The burger. Small Soldier's Whopper. Possibly the only good bit from the uh, Pink Panther remake with Steve Martin. Never saw it. I mean, it's fine. You don't have to. Just the only good bit of it is when he's, as a Frenchman, trying to pronounce burger. Right. And I've heard that is pretty funny. Yeah, it's pretty funny. Probably the most memorable part of that movie. Okay. So after some searching, I'm sure Brett's going to edit this in seamlessly. <laughs> His memory is absolutely accurate. There was a burger called, paradoxically, the Rodeo Burger, which is just the perfect name for a movie about uh army action figures that come to life i guess um but it did in fact have uh bullseye barbecue sauce and onion rings on it and the commercial which i just watched is uh major chip hazard a toy on a witness stand uh testifying that he uh, in a very um a few good men-esque uh courtroom scene uh admitting that he did in fact eat uh the rodeo burger at Burger King. Uh, and then as he's getting taken away by the MPs at the end of the commercial, he said, you're darn right. I did. It was flame broiled and delicious. First of all, when he's on the stand, which is fantastic. <laughs> and then as they're carting him off, the MPs are carting him off. One of the MPs says, so that rodeo burger, it was pretty good, huh? And he, uh, Chip Hazard looks back up at the guy and says, uh, and I think it's, it's Jim Cummings as Tommy Lee Jones. It's not actually Tommy Lee Jones looks up and says, you can't handle the rodeo burger. So just to, to, to completely tie off that a few good man homage. Like I'm legitimately impressed with my memory right now. Normally, you, man. normally it's garbage as, as you and all of our listeners know, sure, memory, sure. memory Swiss cheese up here. Sure. Um, so man, I'm impressed with myself. And even, even you recounting the commercial, I don't fully remember it. You ever get that memory that's just sort of like that little tickle in the back of your head? It's like, I mm -hmm. think I remember that. Yeah, but I, I never trust those things because memories are mm, shaky yeah. sometimes. Yeah, they are. But I, I absolutely do remember that commercial. Yeah, I, I mean, as I was watching it, I was like, I definitely watched this way too many times as a kid. Uh, and I mean, as a kid, we were probably, what, 12, 13 when this movie came out? Yeah. So... Probably honestly, probably about the sweet spot for the movie that Dante was supposed to make. And we'll talk more about the uh, the Burger King, the Burger King tie-in for with this movie later. Although that does remind me, Brett, uh, there was a, a story that I neglected to mention on our King Kong episode about another Burger King tie-in burger and how I almost died 
trying to eat that Burger King tie-in burger. Uh, so when Peter Jackson's King Kong came out in 2005, uh, they had what was called the Skyscraper Whopper, which was just a triple-decker Whopper. So you've got the Whopper, the double Whopper. This was the triple Whopper. They just called it the Skyscraper Burger because why the hell not? Uh, and so, of course, in 2005, I'm a big fat college student or I think college graduate at that point. Why the hell not? Let's grab a, a Whopper. And uh, like I did a lot of times, I ate it in the car. And I was actually driving up to see some friends at my alma mater. So I'm somewhere in northern Illinois, uh, but not like a populated area of northern Illinois, just kind of uh, middle of nowhere-ish area, like just over the state line. Uh, and I'm driving and I'm eating this gargantuan Whopper. And uh, I've got the wrapper on it so I don't make a complete mess because Whoppers are messy things, particularly ones with three burger patties. And I bring it up to my face and the wrapper kind of covers my face a little bit. And uh, I start to, I, I don't notice that I've started to veer into the opposing lane and there is a vehicle coming right at me. Uh, so me being the genius driver that I am kind of jerk the wheel really hard in one direction, spin a complete uh, 360, go completely all the way around, uh, miss the car that had been heading toward me and slide across that other lane of traffic, manage somehow to miss the car that was right behind him as well, uh, like slid right in between where those two cars would have been and uh, rammed right into a snowbank on the side of the road. I have a cell phone, but I'm in the middle of Northern Illinois, uh, about not a little less than halfway from my destination. So can't call my parents, can't call my friends. They're all at work. Um, so fortunately, uh, because it was the middle of nowhere, uh, a couple of nice country boys came by in a truck and uh, pulled me up with their winch. And uh, I got on my way, no damage done to the car, just to my ego and my shirt, because I managed to spill Whopper all over it. But uh, yeah, don't eat and drive, kids. No, don't do anything and drive, really. Just, just drive. Just drive. Don't don't drink uh, alcohol text. or otherwise. Uh, don't text. Don't text. Don't eat. Just um, drive. Just yeah, keep just your drive. eyes on the road. Just focus. Yeah, focus. Because you know the way God intended you to drive. Yeah, we don't want you to die out there. Yeah. Like, what, what if you? What if you had died that day? Is that how you want to go out eating a burger? I mean, well, kind of. <laughs> now that I say it, you, you, you know that I love cheeseburgers. So yeah, as, I mean, as do I. Uh, but you know what I mean. You know, you don't. You don't want somebody standing over your body going, "Twas beauty killed the beast." I mean, sure. I don't, I mean, it was, it was a good cheeseburger. I don't know if it was a good looking cheeseburger, but it was, you know, it was fine. Um, Brett, did you see small soldiers in theaters when it came out? I don't know if I did. If I did, I don't remember. I know for sure that I did not. In fact, I did not see this movie until a couple of years ago when I did my full watch through of Dante um, had not seen this movie ever until then. And then I watched it and went, this is really fun. Because it is just kind of like the perfect encapsulation of the stuff that Dante does really well. Um, not pure Dante distilled on screen. That's Gremlins too. But, you know, a very good encapsulation of what Dante is. Is this one that you saw like later on DVD? Uh, you know, honestly, I'm going to say that I, so I don't think I saw it when it came out. And I think I've only seen it in passing on television. I never oh, okay. like, you know, Sunday afternoon, this is the movie coming on, you know, TBS on, or something, on TBS or something. Yeah. I'm like, All right, I got nothing better to do. Why not? Uh, so I'll watch this. And yeah, was, I didn't remember it at all. It was, it was like I watched it for the first time for this podcast. Yeah, I've seen it twice in the last few years. And honestly, uh, I, I could go for a third. It's <laughs> I, I thought this was fun. No, look, yeah, look, man, it's a fun time. It is definitely, there's some definite gremlins energy here. It's a lot of gremlins energy, which I did not pick up on the first time I saw it. So I was, I was just getting, I was going nuts with all the gremlin stuff this time. Oh yeah. You, you had not yet reached your gremlins uh, renaissance. You no, not, I, uh, I was not the gremlins fan that I am now. Uh, in fact, I think this was the movie that this or the burbs, I think it might've been the burbs was the movie that kicked off my Dante like let's watch Dante a couple of years ago. Um, and then I slowly started watching other stuff until I hit gremlins two. And when I hit gremlins two, I was like, okay, I'm watching all the rest of Dante. Now I'm just, this is what I'm doing. 
So, uh, and Gremlins 2, of course, is a masterpiece that is unparalleled in modern cinema. So, sure. You, you, uh, do you fall, uh, your opinion on Gremlins 2 falls where my opinion of Ghostbusters falls. It's just pretty much it's a perfect movie, could it not is. be rivaled. Nope. It is, I yeah. defy anyone to try. And uh, yeah. how dare you even consider trying, quite frankly. This movie, honestly, Small Soldier. So I'm going to get into the Joe Dante of it all because I have a lot to say about I was texting Brett as I was watching this movie going, I am so excited to talk about this movie because I could just go. Like this is one of those just wind Stephen up and let him go kind of episodes. So if you don't like those episodes, mm, sorry, guys. Yeah, this, um, is, this is what we would refer to as a Stephen episode. Right, right. This is, this is one of the Stephen ones. Uh, but no, I... This movie is like Gremlins meets the Burbs. It's it's just kind of exists in this really nice cross section of those two movies. I almost re I had watched Gremlins earlier this year. I almost rewatched the Burbs, uh, just to to see if I was right. But I think I remember it well enough to know that this is this is kind of pitched right in the middle of those two movies, and I think it works really well and combines the, the best elements of both. What's a what's a little sprinkling? A little little. Susan of Toy Story, just kind of right on top. Right, because Toy Story had only come out a few years before. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, you think of toys that come to life, and Toy Story is, at this point in time, your immediate point of reference, which honestly I think hurt this film more than anything. Oh, it absolutely did. Yeah. I can guarantee that's what it's like. You, only two years afterwards, you got a lot of people going, wait a minute, is Toys talking again? Mm-hmm. Didn't we just see this movie? Right. Uh, except no, you didn't, because this no. movie like dials all of that up to eleven, with you know the typical Joe Dante winking to the camera, which is just delightful. I love it. I'm I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Is this my favorite Dante movie? Not by a long shot, but is it like? Well, you've already shown your hand there. I mean, here's the <laughs> thing. I Dante has within the past couple of years just become one of my favorite filmmakers because I really dig what he's trying to do. He's a he's a cinephile director, but the stuff that he really loves and really pours his heart into is genre cinema. So you've got the references in this movie to like The Crawling Eye or The Bride of Frankenstein, like these very clear or The Dirty Dozen, these very clear homages to these genre films that he grew up with and loved that he just kind of pours into this movie. And if you love those movies too, they're right there for you. And if you don't, it's going to go right over your head. Like it probably did for most of the audience for this film when it first came out in 1998. Yeah. So it, it had a lot going against it because you had the audience that didn't even want to go because this was a Toy Story ripoff and the audience that did go didn't get it. Right. I mean, and, and here's the thing, Joe Dante is a diverse enough director there aren't a lot of, there are some, and I don't want to discredit them, but there aren't a lot of Dante fanboys out there who will just go see any Joe Dante movie because it's a Joe Dante movie. Um, and I, I lament that I came late to my Dante fandom because he's had a few movies in the last decade that I totally missed because I wasn't a Joe Dante fan then. And honestly, if you'd asked me who directed those movies, I wouldn't have been able to tell you. If you asked me who Joe Dante was, I would have been like, oh. Like my, my, connection with Joe Dante has only come fairly recently. I would say within the last five years. So, and he's within that span of time become again, one of my favorite filmmakers, just he's, he's so good. Like I, if you look on our old website, we got five on it.wordpress.com. We did a top five list of our favorite directors and Joe Dante wasn't anywhere near my top 10, but now I would safely put him in my top five safely at the expense of probably Terry Gilliam or maybe even Mel Brooks. Like, that's how much I love him. Yeah. Ever since you've seen Gremlins 2 for the first time, you've just been... Gremlins 2 was an eye-opener, man. It's just like, I didn't know you could make this 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 into a movie. Because, okay, I, here's the thing. I'll probably never get another chance to talk about it until we do Looney Tunes back in action later this year. But Gremlins 2 is a live-action Chuck Jones cartoon. Like, it is what a live-action Looney Tunes film would look like without any animation whatsoever, except for that little short at the beginning. Um, but that's kind of Dante's sensibility that he brings that kind of madcap insanity to the screen. And I think he's best when he's working in that mode. Uh, his last couple of films really didn't operate in that mode and didn't really work as well for me, but 
his best films from the Jaws parody Piranha, which I think other episodes, other us's brought up on their Jaws episode. Uh, weirdly, um, can we just let's not talk about them? If I, I'm skewed out when you talk about them, I can't stop thinking about it though. I mean, we just listened to that, and you, you see, you're the one who made the mistake of making me listen to that before we recorded this episode. Look, I know mistakes were made. I'm sorry. I'm just saying, you can't expect me not to bring it up when it's this fresh. I'm yeah, just saying it's. Right. I'm processing, man. I gotta. I gotta do my processing. All right. All right. Fair enough. You gotta. You gotta. You gotta let me have that. Okay. Um, right. At any rate, you know that was his first movie, and it's got. I mean, it's a parody, so it's got that kind of energy. The howling even kind of has some of that energy, even though it is more or less a straight horror, straight vamp or werewolf movie. And Gremlins is is p- almost purely that energy. So, I mean, that's kind of where he's pitched really, really well. And um, this movie, I think, falls falls into that as well. I think tonally there's some inconsistencies uh, because of some behind-the-scenes stuff that happened on this movie. John, Dante was told, make an edgy movie for teenagers. And then uh, during, I think, late either late in production or post-production, he was told, you know what? Never mind. We got, we got toy tie-ins. It's for kids. And so he had to kind of edit a lot of stuff out cut a lot of stuff, edit around a lot of stuff, change some stuff up. So what would have probably become, what probably would have been a light R uh, became a mild PG-13. And even that made people mad. So, Yeah, I think I definitely would have liked this movie more had it been the movie he wanted to make. Hashtag release the Dante cut. Hashtag release the Dante cut. Maybe if our fans are as obnoxious as DC fans, maybe because... Warner Brothers has proven they can be swayed. So why not? Was this a Warner Brothers film? Now I don't know. I know Dante did a lot of movies with Warner Brothers. Uh, let me double check here. No, this was DreamWorks and Universal. So no, alas, no. And DreamWorks is not a thing anymore. Uh, Universal still is, but I don't know if they would be up for a uh, a small soldier's uh, recut. I mean, I don't know. Like I, they're they're gonna they're gonna work with uh, they're gonna work with Dante. Who who released Gremlins? That was Warner Brothers. Oh, that is Warner Brothers. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said Warner Brothers because that was Dante did a lot of his early stuff with Warner Brothers. Okay, so yeah, we're probably never gonna get the Dante cut of Small Soldiers then. No, no, probably not. Um, but hey, hashtag release the Dante cut. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe. Do I have my doubts? Absolutely, I do. Um, so that's assuming they even have the original like edits, the original negatives, all that stuff. Correct. They Which, don't. No, that's that's quite the assumption, honestly. Um, so, I mean, I've talked about my history was. Do you? What's your? I, I guess what's your familiarity level with with Joe Dante as a filmmaker? It's mainly just Gremlins and Gremlins Two. I watched Gremlins 2 way more growing up than I did the original Gremlins. What um, a great childhood you must have had. Uh, you, look, man, I was into Gremlins. I like Gremlins. Um, I, uh, I think I even had a Gizmo plush at one point. I know I did. Um, Having never seen the movie, I had a Gizmo plush growing up. Yeah, except uh, it was really weird how I thought that, like, I knew that the first Gremlins was, like, darker and not as like crazy as gremlins 2 so gremlins 2 I wasn't was into cat. it as much yeah as a kid i'm like I'm, you know i love the crazy you know this is a live action cartoon like you were saying so i was into that way more than the the darker maybe a little bit more toned down first gremlins but but uh but yeah i mean that's understandable that's, yeah but that's pretty much it i think um i also remember uh, Explorers was one that I watched a lot on TV growing up. Uh, that was one that would come on like Sunday afternoons when my parents were taking a nap and I wanted to watch TV. So I'd watch TV and Explorers was one that got a lot of play. I just remember the the kooky aliens that showed up at the end and um, my dad telling me one day as I was watching it, uh, oh yeah, that kid in the glasses died. And I was like, what? It's like, yeah, it's River Phoenix. He died. And I was like, oh, that's that sucks. Um, but yeah, that was, that's kind of my, my point. I, that, Explorers honestly, and my gizmo plush are probably my points of entry on Dante. But no, so I, I, I realized he did interspace. I was a big interspace fan. 
inner space. Yeah. One, again, I don't think I ever sat down and watched until very recently, but uh, one that I uh, probably saw clips of, like I remember Dennis Quaid in a tiny ship at one point. Um, like I remember seeing clips of that on TV growing up. And inside so, of like, Martin Short, right? Right. Inside Martin Short. I like to see all these things. I, I remember bits and pieces of, but I, I don't know the thing itself. Uh, so I, Dante was kind of always at my periphery as a kid. And so I, I'm glad, honestly, I'm glad I took the time to sit down and dedicate uh, to, to watching his stuff. Cause it real, real good. Yeah. I mean, looking over his, looking over his uh, catalog. Yeah. It's uh, things that I either knew tangentially or did actually watch. Like I, I know I watched matinee. Uh, matinee was the theatrical movie he made right before this one in 93. So five years earlier, but he had made a couple of TV movies, I think for HBO, including the second civil war, which I've heard is absolutely hysterical and I need to check it out. But yeah, so, I mean, Dante, very prolific filmmaker, but kind of in uh, a bit of a slump post gremlins too, uh, which was not well received at all uh, by anyone. Um, unfortunately at the time, cause people are Philistines and dumb, but that was, uh, unfortunately kind of the, the reality. So, I mean, this is, I, I would assume for all intents and purposes, kind of his chance to redeem himself, uh, you know, make a, a crowd pleasing blockbuster kind of a movie. Uh, and then after this, he doesn't make anything until 2003, uh, when he decides to make Looney Tunes back in action again, a movie we will cover later this year when Space Jam comes out. Yeah, you get to talk about Dante some more. I'm, I'm sure you're I'm excited. excited. I'm absolutely excited. You know I'm excited. I love I love this guy. Uh, I feel I feel weird now that we're talking about him twice uh, in in one year because I feel like we could probably could have spaced that out a little better. But eh, ah well, uh, you've already said it out loud, and we're committed. I know, I know. I've put it out there. And honestly, uh, Looney Tunes was on our on our calendar long before this was. And I mean, we can we can always cover Explorers. We can cover Interspaced. There's stuff of his we can cover later if we decide to do so. So we're 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 not completely out of the Dante Woods yet. Thank goodness, because again, like I said, he's he's a great filmmaker, and I love him. Uh, I have talked effusively about Dante uh, without realizing that we have not even talked about the specifics of this movie yet, which is something we kind of need to do brett so let's get into the plot in 60 seconds shall we yes indeed let us so uh in the plot in 60 seconds we flip our good friend the coin of justice the one recurring character on the show uh and he will uh tell us which of us will be recounting the plot of 1998 small soldiers in 60 seconds or less brett you're going to call it in the air are you ready to call it in the air yes i'm going to call tales and it is Tales, which means it falls to me to recount the plot of Small Soldiers in 60 seconds or less. So, Brett, if you'll do me the honor of putting 60 seconds on the clock. I would love to do that for you. I had a feeling you probably would. So you're you're good to go. Let me know when you're ready, sir. Uh, I am ready when you are. All right. Your time. It starts right now. A uh, weapons company called Globotech acquires a Heartland toy company and uh, its uh, CEO, Gil Mars, decides to uh, make toys that are state of the art and can actually move and jump around. And so uh, they create the commando elite and the their bitter enemies, the Gorgonites. Uh, however, they use military grade processors, uh, so they are programmed to actually fight wars. Uh, an early batch goes to Alan Abernathy, whose dad owns a toy store. He's a troubled youth. Uh, he opens the toys and bonds with Archer. Uh, the commando elite escape and torment the Gorgonites and think that since Alan has one of the Gorgonite toys himself, he has allied himself with the Gorgonites. They fight him and his family. They break out more commando elites, and uh, there's a huge war. Uh, however, the chips are vulnerable to EMP, so they set off an EMP using Phil Hartman's giant satellite dish and end up wiping Ten out seconds. all of the commando elite in the neighborhood. Uh, the CEO shows back up to pay everyone off. Everyone seems pretty happy with that outcome. And the Gorgonites uh, go off to find Gorgon. That was only like two seconds over. You, you nailed it like nice. pretty, pretty damn well. And, and honestly, if I had just said find Gorgon more quickly, I probably would have actually like hit it right on the nose. But yeah, well done, sir. Well done. Thank you. Thank you. I missed the part where the commando elite make Gwendy dolls, make soldiers out of Gwendy dolls, but um, 
I, I think that's okay. Uh, yeah. Who are voiced by Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Wednesday Adams, respectively. I know that. And you know, I, I never really noticed it until I watched this movie. They have very similar sounding voices. You know what? Like, I defy <laughs> you to tell me which of those dolls was voiced by Sarah Michelle Geller and which was voiced by Christina Ricci, because I couldn't tell. And I was listening for it. Yeah, you know that you mention it. You're not wrong. No, no, it's it's uncanny. Like they, if you'd have told me that one of those two actresses voiced all those dolls, I would have believed you. Either one, honestly, doesn't matter which. I would have believed you. I'd have been like, yeah, that sounds like her. But yeah, because they both have just very when Christina Ricci does her hi kind of thing, she sounds very much like Sarah Michelle Gellar when she's doing her hi kind of thing. So, and they're both doing that that voice for these Gwendy dolls. And it's, it's, I mean, it's hilarious. The stuff with the Gwendy dolls might be some of my favorite stuff in the movie because those it's, it's like Sid's toys come to life in, in like a PG 13 movie, which is great. Yeah. And it, that might've been a direction thing. They're like, do this kind of voice. And they just so happen to do the same kind of voice. Right. I mean, yeah, they do sound very similar. Um, so again, I don't, now, the fact that the commando elite that are hitting on them are all voiced by men in their, like, 70s. That's a little weird. Kind of weird. Uh, but, I mean, you know, this is... It was the 90s. Come on. <laughs> come on. That's a terrible excuse, and I feel weird saying it, no, but come it was, on. It was, it was wrong then, and it's wrong now. Absolutely. As, as the intros to all those cartoons on streaming services are saying now. But I mean, it doesn't mean it's right. It just means that it was excused, unfortunately, is what it means, which unfortunately doesn't make it any less creepy. Nope. Maybe even a little more creepy. Um, but yeah, uh, so the production of this movie, I kind of have already mentioned that Dante's uh, idea, or I guess the, the idea for the script. Now, two of the credit screenwriters, I must say on this movie, are, let me get their names right here, uh, Ted Elliott and Terry Rossio. And if those names sound familiar, it's because I brought them up very recently in our Godzilla episode, uh, which was, uh, they were the two guys who were brought on to write Jan de Bont's, uh Godzilla script. Uh, this came out, of course, the same year as Gorilla, or as Gorilla. I want Kong to win, dang it. Uh, speaking of which, very sorry that we uh, misannounced the... Um, the release date of Godzilla versus Kong. Um, my bad. Actually, Google's, my bad for believing Google, I guess, is, is what it was. But the, the calendars are hard. All right. Like, I knew it came out on the 31st, but when you were like, yeah, it comes out on Thursday, I'm like, oh, Thursday must be the 31st. So I didn't think anything of it. So, you know, calendars, they're, they're weird, right? How do they work? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah. Uh, and then the other two uh, credited writers are Gavin Scott. Uh, who did stuff like The Borrowers, The Legend of Earthsea, Mists of Avalon. Uh, and then uh, Adam Rifkin, uh, who uh, wrote um, Mouse Hunt and a potential future episode Underdog from 2007. Not a, I mean, he's, he's one of those, I, I actually know him best from the episode of um, The Greatest Movies Never Made that he did, talking about his, uh, his pass on Planet of the Apes in the late eighties. I don't think I've listened to that episode. I usually pick and choose my episodes for that podcast. So I did not listen to that one. Oh, he also direct or uh, wrote another um, potential future episode of this podcast, a uh, zoom starring Tim Allen. Okay. So, I mean, there you go. And he directed uh, the movie Detroit rock city, which is a movie I definitely heard of. Yeah, I think I saw it, but have not seen it, but definitely heard. I remember seeing a trailer for it. Uh, when I was younger, ahead of some other movie, and uh, was like, "Is that does that look good?" And then thinking, nah, "I probably won't watch it." So there you go. That was that was firmly in the era when my dad was getting free uh, passes to movies all the time. So okay, I was gonna say because I honestly don't think anyone saw that movie. No, you saw it and you didn't even see it. Pretty much. But yeah, uh, this is, gosh, what a movie. Uh, so again, he's directed by uh, the studio to make a kind of an edgy teen movie. And um, then again, they kind of change their minds later on in the production. And so they kind of fluff it up a little bit, make it a little more kid friendly. Because uh, I mean, it's literally a movie about toys. 
if you're going to want to do anything, you're going to want to sell toys to kids. Um, and it was kind of, you know, these big blockbuster movies, they all got restaurant tie-in. So if you want a restaurant tie-in, you got to make it friendly to kids because kids are the ones buying the kids meals. Those toys are going to get put in. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to be said though for, you know, like we said, two years earlier is Toy Story, you know, do something a little different, make this an edgier teen movie. I mean, and, this isn't, this is an edgier kids movie for sure. Yeah. But do something a little different, you know, differentiate, differentiate yourself a little bit. Well, and I think, you know, the, the one thing that Dante says was left out was a, um, were, were a lot of action explosions is what he says. Um, I don't know if there were, you know, a lot of different plot points. Um, there was probably some male gazy stuff that got cut stuff like that. But I mean, it's, uh, it, it's, it's pretty par for the course for like a late nineties movie of this type okay. for good. And Dell, I mean, you can, you can see, you can see the makings of the trappings of the movie that Dante wanted to make in here. And while I think that movie certainly would have been better, this movie's still pretty fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so uh, maybe it's, maybe it's just like maybe the commandos curse a little bit more and the male I mean, gaze stuff you were talking about and more violent, probably more violent, more definitely more violent. Like it's just tonally inconsistent. This movie, like there's, there's some stuff that's played a little older and some stuff that gets played a little younger. I don't know to, to each their own, I suppose, but that's just kind of my feeling on it. It's, it's just, it's, it's not the movie Dante wanted to make, which bums me out pretty hard. Yeah. But you know, Hey, we're never going to see that cut. No, unless they hashtag release the Dante cut. Yeah. Um, the Commando Elite are voiced by, with the exception of Tommy Lee Jones and Bruce Dern, voiced by members of the cast of The Dirty Dozen. Uh, so you've got Jim Brown, Clint Walker, Ernest Borgnine, and George Kennedy, who all appeared together in The Dirty Dozen. Uh, and then you've got Bruce Dern, who I was trying to figure out why Bruce Dern is in this movie beyond the fact that he is in The Burbs, which is a, a previous Joe Dante movie that we have mentioned. Uh, but I dug into his filmography and two years after The Dirty Dozen, he appeared in a movie called Castle Keep, uh, which is another late 60s World War II movie. But apparently I also read that he was hired to replace Richard, uh, Richard Jekyll who was in the cast of the dirty dozen who was scheduled to play link static, uh, but died during production. Uh, and so was unable to take, was obviously due to death, unable to, uh, to do the role. And so I think Bruce Stern was kind of brought in as a replacement for him without, I think a lot of thought beyond we need to find someone and Charles Bronson isn't returning our calls. So, or Donald Sutherland, for that matter. Both of them are in that movie. Actually, uh, uh, from what I read, Bronson was asked to be in the movie and said no. Or probably more accurately, no dice. Hey, Ma, can I have a cookie? No dice. This ain't over. Bronson, Missouri. Great Simpson joke. Love it. Also, according to the IMDb trivia, Dante actually wanted uh, the cast of Predator to voice the commando elite, which I think is freaking awesome. That would have been amazing. Why didn't they do that instead? Uh, probably because I couldn't afford Arnold Schwarzenegger for this movie. Uh, Cause he would have obviously been the perfect choice for major chip hazard. Um, but then you've got like Shane black, Carl Weathers, Bill freaking Duke, who I love, like you would have gotten uh, all those guys. And, and a lot of those are pretty hard gets. So, and honestly, if you don't have Arnold, the whole thing kind of crumbles apart anyway. And I think he was probably working on or just coming off of Batman and Robin at this point. So yeah, we both kind of made similar wincing faces <laughs> there. Uh, <laughs> Chill <laughs> out. Oh, be cool. And then of course you've got the Gorgonites and with the exception of Frank Langella, all the Gorgonites are all voiced by the three members of Spinal Tap, which is one of my favorite comedies. Uh, so you've got Christopher Guest, Michael McKeon, and Harry Shearer uh, doing the voices of the Gorgonites, which is uh, pretty. I think both both Christopher Guest and uh, Michael McKeon play two characters, and then Harry Shearer plays one character and like every voice you hear on every TV and radio in the background throughout the movie. Like at one point, I think there's even a TV running where Harry Shearer is interviewing Harry Shearer doing a different voice. 
Um, like when uh, Phil Hartman and his wife, Wendy Shaw are passed out on the couch after the uh, commandos roofie them. Ooh. Uh, another wince. Similar wincy face there too. But yeah, they, they put uh, sleeping pills in their gin. <laughs> They're sitting around drinking gin and they shoot sleep, like two or three sleeping pills into their gin, like overkill. Uh, and then of course you've got uh, teen uh, teen icons, Christina Ricci and Sarah Michelle Geller as the this universe's equivalent of the Barbie doll. So like, it's all very much, the voice cast is all very much stunt casting. And I think it's absolutely fantastic because all those voices are just pitch perfect what they need to be. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's fun just watching this movie and picking out voices. You're like, sure. oh, I don't like that guy. Oh, I like that guy too. Oh, yeah. listen to that. It's just a fun time. It is, you got like a bingo card of like voice actors and uh, like, you, you know, high profile actors. And you're just like, I love that guy. I love that guy too. Oh my God. <laughs> That guy's great. Hooray. Yeah. Uh, it's it's absolutely great. Of course, Tommy Lee Jones, pretty big at this point in his career. Let me pull. I know I pulled up his IMDb page. I did not actually. Because, I mean, that's also nothing to say of the actual, like, physical cast. Like, you know, we're talking about the voice cast, but, like, you got Phil Hartman and his final, uh, final. performance. Actually, this is the final appearance of both Phil Hartman and Clint Walker, who was the voice of uh, Nick Nitro. Like this was the last role for both of those actors. Yeah. Which is a super bummer. It is. Uh, and then you also got, you got David Cross. The great David Cross. Uh, you got two members of the cast of the movie Suicide Kings, Dennis Leary and Jay Moore, uh, which is bizarre to me, but, you know, kind of fun. Yeah. And then you got, you know, the prolific that guy actors that are just like, you know, you may not know them by name, but when you see them come on screen, you're like, hey, it's that guy. Like uh, like from our Godzilla episode, Kevin Dunn or the aforementioned Dick Miller, who is like John Dante's like stalwart guy. Like he's in everything that Dante does uh, to the extent that I was telling you before we recorded. If you were to sit down and watch a Joe Dante movie with a Joe Dante bingo card, Dick Miller would be your free space because he shows up in all of them. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah, man, it's just even if you don't like this movie, just you can enjoy the cast. For sure. Uh, let's actually, let's double back and talk Tommy Lee Jones for a little bit. I do want to hit some of those other actors, especially Phil Hartman. Uh, but let's double back on Tommy Lee Jones here for a second, because he is on his late 90s hot streak right now. And this is kind of coming right at the end of that. Um, like shortly after this, we're going to see it all kind of crash and burn. So 93, he's in The Fugitive, which for which he wins an Academy Award. Um, he does a few other things. Uh, 94, he's in the Oliver Stone film, Natural Born Killers. Uh, in 1995, he's in a little movie called Batman Forever. He gets the script for that and calls his agent and says, I don't get it. And his agent says, okay, do me a favor, read it again. And this time read it like Tommy effing Jones is in the role. And uh, he ended up taking it because his kid liked Batman, which is the reason most of these actors take these kinds of roles. I know you are not a fan of that role because you're a big Two-Face guy. Man, I could go on a tirade about that movie and his performance and what he did to that character, but we don't have enough time for that. We'll get there one of these days, I'm sure. We're gonna. There's a Batman movie coming out next year. We'll we'll do something that Batman adjacent to and let you go on a Two-Face rant. I'd be more than happy to do it. Uh, I'm sure you would. 97 is a big year. He is the lead in a movie called Volcano and uh, also the lead in a little movie called Men in Black. Maybe I don't know if I've heard of that. (laughs) Um, Which is kind of the biggest movie of that year or one of the biggest movies. And so the very next year, he's got the one-two punch of U.S. Marshals, which is the sequel to his Academy Award-winning turn in The Fugitive, which he is the lead of. I think he is top build in that movie. Wesley Snipes is second. So it's it's less about The Fugitive and more about the Marshals hunting The Fugitive, um, which is a weird take on a sequel to that movie. Yeah, it's... It's I, like I, doing the... like. Uh, it's like doing a sequel to gremlins where the main focus is um, like water or something. I don't know. I'm just, 
I mean, it's it's one of those like it's like a loose sequel, right? Because I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, the same characters just in a different situation. Well, I mean, Most just, of the same characters. Uh, see, I thought it was just the same character, like it's him. No, because it's got like his whole team is back. Oh, uh, okay. Wow. Uh, most notably of them, Joey Pant- Joe Joe Pantoliano, aka Joey Pants. So ninety nine, he does Double Jeopardy. Uh, two thousand, he's got William Friedkin's Rules of Engagement and Clint Eastwood's Space Cowboys. So like ninety eight is the beginning of the end of this miracle run for him. And then by two thousand two and Men in Black two, it all just kind of falls apart. Uh, he does another Friedkin movie the next year with uh, called The Hunted. And then he's doing Man of the House and Robert Altman's A Prairie Home Companion. Uh, And then 2007, he gets it back a little bit and becomes like the Oscar guy again with No Country for Old Men in the Valley of Elah. Uh, And then a few years after that, Lincoln, which he's nominated for an Oscar for. So like that kind of enters another a new phase in his career. But he had a really hot late 90s run that kind of fizzles with uh honestly starting with this movie i would say one of my favorite bits of tommy lee jones trivia oh i think i know exactly where you're going with this uh you might um because it is personally when it, when i went to japan and even before i went to japan oh maybe i don't know where you're going with this i loved boss coffee i've told you about boss coffee before yes um it is my favorite brand of um you can go to any 7-Eleven family mart um, shop in Japan and find in their pre-bottled, you know, pre-packaged coffee section, uh, refrigerated or hot. That's a cool thing that Japan has. Um, you can buy some Boss Coffee. Uh, Time of the Jones, spokesperson for Boss Coffee, briefly. Yeah, he did commercials and everything. Okay, you not the, where I look, thought you were going with that. You can look but... those up on the old YouTubes. Uh, he did multiple ones. It's, I thought uh, you were going to say that one of your favorite pieces of Tommy Lee Jones trivia is the fact that he was college roommates with Al Gore. No, I, I, I didn't know that, actually. Um, well, now you do. Now that's yeah, a thing you know, and I mean, all of our listeners know. It's not as cool as my trivia, I don't think. But, hey, you know. Whatever. I mean, okay, whatever. <laughs> I, I guess I guess that depends on your feelings on Al Gore. <laughs> uh, sure. I it's fine, I guess. Sure, uh, I, whatever. I like Boss Coffee way more than Al Gore. I probably would too. So there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, so Tommy Lee Jones kind of in a moment, I thought his his the trajectory of his career was worth mentioning here. Um, let's talk Phil Hartman a little bit because that is honestly kind of the biggest bummer ever. Um, just an insanely talented, funny actor uh taken in his prime like as he is ascendant and he's just one of those guys who would just show he was an snl regular uh cast in snl from the groundlings um which is kind of the west coast answer to second city and just would show up and stuff like coneheads or so i married an axe murderer um, which his role in that is just, it cracks me up every time. He's the, probably the funniest part of that movie. A movie I already think is ridiculously funny, uh, but he's the uh, the Alcatraz Ranger. And I just, I love it so much. It's been um, too long since I've seen that movie. It's a shame. You, you need to watch that again. It's so good. Uh, he's, he's in uh, a little Sinbad movie called House Guest. He's the villain in Sergeant Bilko, but like none of the movies he's in are particularly great. He's the villain, one of the villainous characters, I guess, in Jingle All the Way, the creepy neighbor who's trying to seduce Rita Wilson away from Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay, because that's going to happen. Okay, movie. Sure. And then he's he's on news radio for like the last three or four years of his life playing one of the all-time great TV characters, uh, Bill McNeil. He's doing voice acting on The Simpsons pretty regularly. Uh, Troy McClure, Lionel Hutz, and just kind of like just shows up in in stuff and then tragically killed in a murder-suicide by his wife. Just absolutely gutting. And this is his last film. It's dedicated to him. The the obligatory Joe Dante uh, post-credit scene, which he puts in a lot of his movies, uh, is an outtake of um, Phil Hartman delivering a line and then saying, 
I don't know. Was that too big? That felt like a bit much. And Joe Dante laughing and saying, Phil, I've never heard you say that before. Just, you know, remembering, you know, the fun and the humor uh, that are that are so often associated. But honestly, I think his murder was probably unfortunately because this he died in late May. This movie came out in July of the same year. And he was, of course, shot to death. And this is a movie that kind of was noted for glorifying violence. Um, it was a it's for a for a for a quote unquote kids movie. Uh, it's a pretty violent movie. Uh, and so and I think most of the things that parents had pr- problems with and issues with stemmed from that violence. And so I think that was just another thing that this movie had kind of stacked against it is the fact that here you've got this really great comedic talent uh, taken away because of gun violence in a movie where you've got toys firing off guns and all manner of other weapons. In fact, the original poster had Chip Hazard pointing a gun straight at the audience and it was edited out to have him like weirdly pointing. You can actually see the original image in the movie when Dick Miller is carrying a standee of Chip Hazard into the, into the toy store at the beginning of the film. Uh, had the original what the original image was going to be but i again just i think another thing that kind of stacked against this movie um and another reason why it probably didn't do as well as it might have in different circumstances yeah just the this the really tragic nail in the coffin for everything this movie had going against it yeah for sure for sure and i mean honestly would would i i miss phil hartman like he was the kind of actor who would just elevate the thing that he was in just a little bit by virtue of his presence. I think my favorite Phil Hartman performances though, remain those kind of little ones where he just kind of pops up in something. He's there for like one or two scenes, just spit and heat. And then just like is gone from the movie. Like those, those tend to be, cause I always forget he's in them and then he shows up and I'm like, Oh yeah, right. My favorite part of this movie. Here he is. Great. I love it. Delightful. Wonderful. Fantastic. Kirsten Dunst. Let's talk about the Kirsten Dunst of it. Were you a big fan of Kirsten Dunst in the 90s, Brett? Uh, yeah. I mean, I liked her in Jumanji. liked her in Interview with the Vampire. I thought she was really great. One of those really reliable child actresses that you could just throw to just about anything and would just spit straight heat. Uh, she's young Amy and Little Women. As you mentioned, Interview with the Vampire, Jumanji. Uh, Jumanji, of course, probably being the first thing I saw her in. Uh, in the uh, Academy Award nominated Wag the Dog in 1997, the voice of young Anastasia in, in 97 as well. Uh, and then, of course, she she does this, The Virgin Suicides in 1999, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Dick, She's Ascendant, uh, does a sequel to one of your favorite movies, The Crow, in 2000, uh, and then uh, Bring It On, also in 2000. And then by the time we get to 2002, she's in Spider-Man. But honestly, she's starting in 99, I'd say probably the Virgin Suicide, she just starts cropping up everywhere. Like she's just all over the place. Like Kirsten Dunst Ascendant. Yeah, she has a pretty good run there for a while. She does. And it honestly kind of peters out around 2003 when she does Mona Lisa Smile. Uh, she starts taking, I think, less and less work. She does Spider-Man 2, Wimbledon, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind, I can't forget. And then Marie Antoinette, I remember being kind of her last big thing. And then after Spider-Man 3 in 2007, she kind of pops up here and there, but it's much more sporadic. I'm just looking through kind of the rest of her credits. Uh, she's in the Lars von Trier film Melancholia, which I haven't seen. She's apparently in Anchorman 2, a film I do not remember. She plays herself uncredited in The Bling Ring. Uh, she's in the film Midnight Special. So it seems like she just kind of, she's in Hidden Figures. So she's been popping up, I think, a little more recently. But like, yeah, starting 2007, and I'm not sure what happens around that time, but she just kind of fades into uh, obscurity there for a little bit. Um, I hope she comes back. I'm glad she's uh, continuing to do the stuff she is. She was great on Fargo, the TV show Fargo. I liked her on that quite a bit. That I have not seen. Uh, she's in season two, I want to say. Uh, people are mixed on Fargo. Some people really like it. Some people really don't. But I'm, I don't know. I'm a fan. Uh, any other cast members you want to talk about uh, a little more in depth, a little more specifically? Uh, no, no, not really. I mean, I think uh, the ones I would want to talk about, we've covered. 
Okay. Yeah. Oh, I just wrote down that I thought that uh, the fact that Dick Miller's character's biggest concern uh, about the logical endpoint of capitalism is the end of microbreweries is just peak relatable content. I think that's that's just fantastic. I love that. So I, I guess you know, the, let's let's talk a little bit about the end of the movie. Kind of the epic, violent showdown between the commando elite and the Gorgonites, who are who learn to fight back against the the commando elite. Uh, and this is where I think we get peak gremlins meets burbs energy because you've got like all the different archetypes from the burbs and then the kind of chaotic villains essentially the gremlin counterparts the commando elite kind of just running amok through this neighborhood uh blowing stuff up and um I, the big trailer line kevin dunn turning to link static and going what you packing tiny and to which he says packing you and then covers him in a giant net you know just stuff like that just wreaking havoc causing general mayhem uh, uh but you know a lot of property damage, just blowing stuff all to hell. Uh, rubbed some people the wrong way, apparently. Uh, people didn't really like the level of violence. Again, it was supposed to be a much more violent, edgy movie. Uh, people didn't particularly care for that. There was apparently a, uh, a lawsuit filed by a, uh, a young filmmaker against Steven Spielberg, who owned uh, DreamWorks, of course, for uh, copying a film, a student film that he had made uh, called Ode to G.I. Joe. So I don't know, no information as to, do I have as to how that case was settled, if he got any money or if it was dismissed or what have you. But but yeah, so uh, I do want to double back to the Burger King of it all because there were uh, tie-in, there was a, a toy tie-in for this movie. And uh, apparently due to the PG-13 rating, uh, there, a lot of parents groups complained that they would be, um, you know, selling toys that promoted violence to children. Uh, and so they were uh, the toys. It was, the Burger King issued a disclaimer. While toys are suitable for children of all ages, the movie small soldiers may contain uh, material that is inappropriate for younger children. Uh, and some restaurants even just switched out for Mr. Potato Head merchandise uh, and the, the Kip Killigan toy was actually pulled from Oregon restaurants uh, because there was actually a, uh, a shooting, uh, a, a school shooting where the, the, the child's name was actually Kip uh, who had done the killing. And so that character was completely pulled uh, from that merchandise uh, line in those, in that area. But, uh, but yeah, cause you know, movies cause violence. That's, that's usually the cause of such things. And that's what middle-aged white women tell me. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's what they still tell me because we still have school shootings because we still refuse to do anything about it. But, you know, this movie was never going to succeed, was it? Uh, no, it this movie never had a chance. All the chips are stacked against it, uh, which I suppose is as good a time as any to talk about the box office. Uh, this movie opened on June 10th, 1998. Um, the complete domestic gross of small soldiers uh, ended uh ended at 55 million off of a budget of 80 or off a budget of 45 so barely made back its budget with the big marketing push probably didn't even break even uh earned about another 16 overseas for a grand total of 71.7 worldwide uh not a good return on investment quite frankly it opens at number 3 uh number 3 to 4.7 million 4.8 million in number one, a, uh, the fourth and final part of a, of a, a long running film series started running in the eighties. Uh, it's lethal weapon four also opening this week, opening at uh, $11 million uh, in second place in its 10th week down from number one, the week before uh, is Michael Bay's Armageddon which at this point has earned $83.5 million. That's a uh, pretty big 90s movie. That's very big 90s movie. Absolutely. I don't see deep impact on the chart, so it might have already dropped off. Uh, number four is Dr. Doolittle in its 15th week down from number two. This is telling me that there aren't a, there's not a lot of staying power with the movies that came out this summer uh, because a lot of them are kind of dropping. And and there's like a couple of like a couple big ones are sticking around, but everything else is kind of falling short. Um, and in number five, we've got the 
the uh, the children's film Madeline, which is probably counter programming to Small Soldiers, which would probably be seen as a boys movie. Um, that earns $2.3 million in its first week. Rounding out the top 10, we've got Disney's Mulan in its 22nd week. Uh, out of Sight, The Truman Show, uh, The X-Files, Fight the Future, and Six Days, Seven Nights. A few of those movies, of course, we referenced in the box office from our Godzilla episode a couple weeks ago. Ultimately, though, this movie did not do well. Uh, the Tomatometer gives it a... 48 percent audience score not much worse uh at 45 percent uh there is no metacritic score for this movie weirdly uh it just does not exist on metacritic most other joe dante movies do but this one does not uh but it also earns a three star uh 3.0 star on letterbox out of five brett how did you rate small soldiers i gave it a 3.5 as did i so yeah, a great movie, but honestly, it's the it's the tonal inconsistency for me. The tagline for this movie, Brett, do you do you know what it was? Would you care to wager a guess? Uh, size Considering matters. The, <laughs> um, the move the title of the movie is Small Soldiers. The tagline was Big Movie, Big uh, Movie, Small Soldiers. That's that's I, the tagline. I get, it. I, get but I I do recall in one of the commercial spots they actually brought Tommy Lee Jones in to do the line reading. Uh, size doesn't matter for one of the promo commercial spots for this movie uh, because size matters was such a huge part of the Godzilla marketing campaign that you've got this movie with these, this giant monster. And so you've got all these little toys in this one. So size doesn't matter because these little toys will kick your ass every bit as much as Godzilla will. Sure. So. If they say so. Uh, but yeah, so there you go. That's uh, that's small soldiers. Um, a movie that I think is great by a filmmaker that I think is great. Yeah, it's, uh, it was a fun time. I, I enjoyed it. It had, it had some problems, um, but it's not bad. Yeah, it's no, fun. I, I agree. I, I would recommend this movie if you can find it. Uh, it's currently streaming on Amazon Prime as of the time of this recording. Uh, I would say check it out, um, and particularly if you haven't seen it before. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Brett, would which of these action figures would you have been most likely to own when you were a child? If, you, if your parents, of course, were willing to foot the... bill uh, that one of these things cost as we learn at the end of this movie. I don't know. I might've probably went more uh, one of the commandos more than likely. I think. Okay. Not sure which one though. I I would have been all in on slam fist. I I just know I would have Um, the big oafish hunchback looking thing voiced by Christopher guest. We was hiding that guy. Love him. He's great. I want him. I actually, if if it weren't so freaking expensive, because the if you've looked on eBay for these movies, the toys are freaking expensive. Like it, you just you can't buy them. There was, according to Wikipedia, there was a rumor in 2014 for uh, there was a, a remake in development with Fox called Toy Mageddon. Uh, Justin Lin was set to direct. Uh, and it's was supposed to be set in a toy factory that begins to run amok, uh, but was not explicitly stated to be a remake of Small Soldiers. So it sounds like one of those spec scripts that you convert into a Small Soldiers movie, um, but uh, but ultimately was scrapped with the acquisition of 21st Century Fox by Disney in 2019. So even I mean, it sounds like it was put on ice probably before then, but um, it doesn't look like we'll ever see. Uh, a sequel or a remake to Small Soldiers again. What do you think the sequel to Small Soldiers might have been? I mean, maybe Globotech keeps up its shenanigans. Maybe they don't learn their lesson. That's my guess. Honestly, I think the the line at the end about adding a couple of zeros to the price tag and selling them off to, you know, uh, Colombian armies is probably like, you know, the, the, the commando elite going to war in like some uh, some Latin American country against uh and then of course the gorgonites happen to end up there because they literally are just set adrift at the end of the movie so maybe they end up on in a in a country in a battlefield where the commando elite are already waging a war and get kind of caught up in the middle of it yeah so they go bigger like a sequel should do there yeah you go. absolutely there you go and you know maybe don't market it to kids this time no although i don't think joe dante would have directed it because he there's only one sequel he ever directed and it's the most perfect sequel that's ever existed that's gremlins sure. 2 that's gremlins sure. 2 
It's a great movie. Really, you should just go watch Gremlins 2. I mean, definitely watch Small Soldiers, but when you're done, absolutely watch Gremlins 2. It's streaming on HBO Max right now, along with the first Gremlins. You'll watch them both. Make make a whole day of it. In preparation for the series. Yeah, which is supposed to come out nebulously sometime this year. No release date announced as of yet. Cast announced, release date, not so much. Cast looks good, though. James Hong, B.D. Wong, Ming-Na Wen, good cast. Yeah, love a Ming-Na Wen. Absolutely. How can you not? Mulan herself. Chun Li herself. Sure. Whatever your whatever your point of reference. We'll talk about Chung Li soon enough. Don't don't even worry about it. Spoilers. Uh, spoilers. Wink wink nudge nudge. We'll we'll get there. Maybe sooner than you think. Brett, uh, anything else that you wanted to talk about? Anything else that we forgot? Uh talking about small soldiers? No, man. I'm good. All right. Well, then that's our Small Soldiers episode. Uh, This has been yet another, I would say, successful episode of Disenfranchised. Uh, You can find us on social media at DisenfranchPod. That is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can shoot us an email if there's a failed franchise starter you would like to see. Uh, Let us know at DisenfranchPod at gmail.com. And if you do, we will try to get it in before the end of 2021. The longer you wait, of course, the less likely that is to happen because we do have a schedule that we are constantly filling out and changing. So seriously, let us know sooner than later, please. And thank you. We also uh, please give us a rating and a review on your podcatcher of choice, but especially if that podcatcher is Apple podcasts. Uh, And if you let us know a movie that you would like us to do in your five-star review, we'll probably do that one too. So uh, go over and shoot us one of those. I am one of your hosts, Stephen Foxworthy, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Chewy Walrus. Uh, Brett, such as you are on social media, where can we find you? You can just find me on Letterboxd at Gunslinger Fire. At Gunslinger Fire. And so that is our episode on Small Soldiers. Until next time. Uh, I am Stephen Foxworthy for Brett Wright and myself. Hashtag release the Dante cut. Release it, Universal. We need it. Come on. We need it desperately. Or Fox, whoever owns the rights now, just do it. <laughs>